So, gentlemen, uh, I know that uh, Rana Romney McDaniel has, uh, you know, established kind of a, a presence as being, you know, someone who's known for not being biased in favor of any particular candidate, certainly not beholden to any particular candidate, someone who's known for her competence, her capability of raising money, uh, her capacity for organization and supplying people with data. So were you at all surprised to learn that she's now out there calling openly for a candidate who has the second most delegates in the presidential race to get out before before anything can be counted when it comes to voting in that candidate's home state. Yeah, it has not been a banner week for the for the Republican Party organization uh, from from top to bottom. And you know, well, maybe you say not... that maybe you say that because we're about to have a situation in Nevada where there's going to be a caucus and a primary, and only one of them counts, and one candidate is in each one. <laughs> yeah. Or I don't know. I mean, how about the head of the Arizona Republican Party saying, I'm going to resign because Carrie Lake threatened me. I threatened hope she him, doesn't go through with it. Threatened, <laughs> threatened him, threatened him while uh, threatened him, blackmailed him while also yeah. apparently recording him at his place of business while she was employed by him. While she was an employee. Yeah, it's just not it, it, this is not what a functioning party apparatus looks like. And we were talking about this a little bit last week about how the close, you know, the closest comp for what's happened to the Republican Party is what happened to the Democratic Party under o o Obama, but they're not that close. I mean, Ob the Democratic Party under Obama marched to the left, lurched to the left, of course, and suffered for it massively at the state and local level. And you're seeing all of that suffering at the state and local level, but there's also just a lot of ordinary kind of, you know, scamming and grifting and incompetence and embarrassing optics and stuff like that. That's a whole other level. And then it's combined, of course, with the the personality cult piece of it, where which is, you know, what your question was about, where, yeah, I'm just not a, I'm just really not 100 percent confident in the formal neutrality of the RNC and the and the presidential primary. I just, I, my, my confidence is shaken. So I, I'm curious, and, and I would be happy to accept questions from both of you, having spent uh, myself the last three days in New Hampshire uh, uh, about kind of how that played out. But but the one sort of input that I would have there is is that it was just very well in evidence that nobody cares about the national party or what it says or what it's about or you know, really endorsements, anything having to do with that. You know, it's like all these old things that used to matter a lot. They just don't matter. And and, and I say that in part because I hung out at a a, um, a voting location, uh, lovely Bedford, New Hampshire. Thank you for everybody who came up to me. Uh, and the general takeaway I had was that uh, having spent uh, three hours there and seeing uh, Chris Sununu there for about 90 minutes is that I was way more popular than Chris Sununu. <laughs> there were a lot more people coming up to me asking for selfies than, than they were to the governor of their own state. And I was like, wait a minute, this is that that's not supposed to happen. <laughs> and, and so it's one of these things where I think the the dominant kind of effects of being a partisan at this point are just a constant detriment for a lot of the people who want to take it seriously. Uh, they want to build or they want to, you know, they, they want to try to do the business of politics in a, in a serious way. Uh, and instead, I think it just is more about like, uh, you know, who's who's making the arguments that I like on television. 
and that's something yeah. that I think is a real problem. I, I don't yeah, even know if it's if they're making arguments that you like. It's they're making arguments in a way that you like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's sort of the uh, the the anchor manification of politics. You know, I just start yelling loud noises, and people are like, "That's my guy." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because it, it does seem like, and we we've, we've talked about this that policy seems kind of aside the point. Um, you know, you, you you see it even in the fact that. You have these people, you know, as Trump sort of sways from one end to the other based on what's expedient, you know, the people standing behind him on a stage do the exact same sort of thing. So, I mean, it's it's all stuff. I mean, it is the you know, it's the the Instagram or TikTok sort of world that we live in, where it's this sort of celebrity influencer kind of thing. And it can be, you know, an inch deep. But if you've got the camera, you know, the, the right music and the camera angles are right, like it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, I, just to that point. Trump said like three things about Nikki Haley's dress and one thing about her being weak on the border. So like that's that's totally, you know, uh, 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 totally consistent with what you're saying. Yeah. And the, the thing I would say, and I've this is something I've I've been interested in as a question and written about a few times over the course of the last decade or so is that, you know, Republican politics always was a little bit more of a freak show, I think, than the average person or the sort of stereotype about stuffy Republicans let on. I mean, it was there was always and if you've ever been to an RNC, like the last time I covered a presidential race seriously as a journalist was 2012. Right. So that was the last time I was in New Hampshire. You know, last time I went to a convention. Right. And. There were, you know, there's there's freakery at those things. There's freakery at an RNC convention for sure. There's weird people in weird getups suggesting that you ingest weird substances and go to weird places, right? There's always been a little bit of a of that <laughs> element to it, right? And CPAC, everyone knows CPAC has always been a little bit of a freak show. The difference, anyone who's been there, right? The difference is all of Republican politics is that way now, right? The, those used to be sort of designated outlets where people hung loose a little bit and now there's there's you're right there's no sort of boring committee men who are you know chamber of commerce members or you know sort of you know gray beards city fathers in their local communities and good standing own 10 car dealerships whatever it is who do the boring functionary work of holding a party apparatus together you know, and and guiding and directing, you know, the direction of policy, you know, at that level. Now it's just this, as you guys suggested, it's this conduit from sort of the social media addled masses to their memers, like, and their influencers, the the Laura Loomers and the cat turds of the world, and then directly to these, you know, populist superstars who are either candidates or, you know, sort of kingmaker broadcasters or ex-broadcasters like the Carlson's. That's the whole gig now. That's the Laura whole Loomer was denied access to the, uh, uh, according to uh, our our own correspondent, Coburn, who was at the uh, Trump rally while I was doing the Fox Nation stream. Um, uh, Laura Loomer was denied access to the VIP section uh, of that Trump rally. So, you know, I mean, even if you are totally invested, you know, there's there's certain lines that, yeah, uh, they won't cross. It's like it's like how Don, it's like how Don Corleone did was upset that Luca Brasi was at his. He had to like talk to Luca Brasi at his daughter's wedding. Yes, exactly. you know you want that guy. You want that guy to be a hatchet man for you. You don't want to have to you know 
shake his actually hand. interact. Um, yeah, that's that's Loomer. So, so John, uh, you know, we we had our expectations going into this about how things would turn out in in New Hampshire, uh, and I was asked at the beginning of the night uh, and actually during the day a couple of times what I thought a win would be versus a loss for Nikki Haley, and I said. Actually, I think I think as long as it's less than 15, uh, she can basically go back to her donors and say, hey, I did everything that I could possibly do in the limited time that I had to consolidate my support. Um, and that if it was more than 15, then I thought the calls for her to get out will be astronomical and no donors will give her more money. And she ended up uh, being around, you know, 11 points. Uh, maybe it'll end up being 12, but, you know, maybe just, you know, slightly into the double digits. Clearly a more competitive situation than the polls say, despite the claims of Tom Bevan from Real Clear Politics, who also apparently was unaware that uh, uh, South Carolina is uh, not a closed primary. He said that a couple of times. I don't like to correct people on air, but I don't know why the head of Real Clear Politics would not know that about South Carolina. But it's one of these things that is interesting to me because the, I, I think that she overperformed. And I say that because, as we've talked about on this uh, uh, podcast before, the general question of who is your second choice directed at Ron DeSantis voters had basically like a 75-25 Trump as the second choice uh, for his voters. That's not how they voted. Um, and yes, you can add on the, you know, uh, uh, various, you know, uh, Democrats who crossed over. Trump didn't have a problem with that when it was helping him in 2016. Uh, but apparently it's a problem now. Uh, but there was also, you know, a sizable number of independents and leaners unaffiliated in the parlance of New Hampshire who very clearly chose to come out and vote for Nikki Haley, despite knowing from all of the coverage, the dominant coverage, that she was behind and that she was unlikely to win. What do you think about that? I think that I think New Hampshire and, and Haley's performance and what you make of it just goes to show that how much that American politics is just sort of a Rorschach test based on expectations. You know, having the, if we'd had this conversation Three weeks ago, or you know, whenever Chris Christie dropped out, you know that Haley plus Christie in some of those polls, you were getting in striking distance of Trump. Then again, you know, I had a you know colleague ask me the other day what I thought was going to happen in New Hampshire, and you know, just pulled up the polling averages, and it was you know Trump by eighteen or nineteen. I you know I would say that um, you know Haley, you know, if you took Haley in the points, you know, you were in the money, but maybe just. Um, I think single digits would have been a bet. I guess it sort of depends on what you define as winning for her or sort of her cause. If you want to say that that Haley set out, uh, planted a marker for uh, a part of Republicans and you know maybe Republican leaning independents that are just irreconcilable at this point to Donald Trump. And again, these are not the never Trump people. Well, these just are to, just to insert something here. Winning eight or nine delegates, eight or nine delegates against thirteen from a guy who has all the advantages—that's pretty, pretty good. I mean, like, yeah. that, like that's not that is you cannot look at that as being a loss in the in the larger scheme of the conversation. Let me put it that way. 
And for her, I mean, if she can keep this going and, you know, for another month and, you know, keep bleeding out a few delegates here and there, you know, I've, I've talked to different times about the lottery ticket. Are you kind of buying a lottery ticket against, you know, Trump for one reason or another, not being able to make it to you know election day in a, you know, either for health or legal reasons or whatever. Now, I mean, I, I'd imagine that the, the, the Trump partisans would try to absolutely just annihilate her. And I think we're, you know, on the front end of seeing a bunch of nastiness directed her way. But I, oh, I yes. do think I do think the thing that's 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 most telling is, you know, there was you watch Trump's remarks, um, you know, when he's you know doing victory and um, it has all the hallmarks of almost kind of a failed bully that, you know, she lost and she's irrelevant. But I'm going to spend the entire time talking about her, um, you know, most of the time, um, you know, let's let's put it. Let's put it this way for, for, for people of our age that remember Mike Tyson's punch out, no one bragged about beating glass Joe. That was, you know, <laughs> step, that was step one, round one. And, you know, if she was as, as weak and as not a threat and as out of step and out of touch, um, as, as you know, president Trump said that she was, then, you know, you beat her by double digits and, and what's going to be her single best state other than maybe something like Vermont, for a while, um, you know, it, it, he still doesn't seem to understand that this is a game of addition uh, politics uh, and that he, he needs her voters. If he wants to win, he's going to need some some segment of her voters and continuing to remind people that voted for Nikki Haley why they didn't vote for Donald Trump, I, I don't think is helpful to him. So I, I think if if you want to say that that's sort of the win condition for Haley, then, yeah, I think. I think she did win. Or so, did, so, so Dan, I want to get your reaction to this. I, we had, um, we had a couple of people pipe in uh, during our stream on uh, on Fox Nation, uh, and I thank you to uh, to Pete Hexes for inviting me up there. W one of the people who piped in was Vivek from the uh, Trump victory rally uh, before everything had really been called, so it was pretty early. And uh, but after a Nikki Haley had come out. And one of the things that he said without my prompting and not an answering to my question was this electorate resembles more a general election electorate than a Republican primary electorate. And that's not fair. And it's blah, blah, blah. And it's, you know, non-Republicans choosing, you know, who they support, that kind of thing. And so uh, before he left us, I said, wait a minute, I just I just have a quick question. If this does resemble a general electorate as what you just said doesn't that give a lot of fuel to the people who suggest that the best thing for donald trump to do would be to name nikki haley his vice president because you need those voters if this is the general electorate and he immediately pivoted to she's just a tool of her conflicted leftist you know well-moneyed donors but he didn't really answer the question. And to me, that's that's kind of the real takeaway here. It's like if you if you think you if you think this is kind of a sort of a, a a cheat where it's you know, it's not just Republicans picking the nominee. OK, well, but you don't need just Republicans to win the presidential election. Doesn't every state where she makes overperforms or, you know, uh, comes in with a significantly higher percentage of of some of these key demos, doesn't that go to the idea that, you know, you actually need Nikki Haley to be your VP? So there's a lot to 
a lot to unpack there. The first, the thing I would say about the VP thing is it's easy for us to fall into old patterns of thinking about coalitional politics and say, you know, that, 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 that makes sense. But remember, this is not a regional, this is not a regional difference between say, you know, Dick, you know, deep South Republicans and Northeast Rockefeller Republicans or California, Orange County, Reagan Republicans. It's not that. It's not a it's not even really about policy. I mean, a little bit. You talk you talk about certainly the, the Trump people are saying, oh, the, she's a warmonger, blah, blah, blah. You know, there's a little bit of that. But but really, it's about it. it's like every fucking thing else. Pardon my language. It's a referendum on Trump, his style, the Trumpist takeover, his personality, January 6th, all that stuff. So I say all of that by saying, I think if Nikki Haley accepted the VP from from Trump, which, A, let's just go on the record, he's not going to offer it. She wouldn't accept it. She said she would. Right. And I think if she did, she would cease to be the thing that her voters are voting for. Right. So I actually I actually don't quite think that formulation works because I think essentially she's just occupying the slot that a Chris Christie did. The difference between Haley and Christie, yes, is that Haley is more in touch with what the Republican Party used to be. Christie never really was. New Jersey Republicans are weird. They're all kind of, you know, descendants of Christie Todd Whitman. And Hope on our talk before this, I said Trump was going to perform at the top of his polling. I thought that we were seeing uh, Haley falter a little bit with some of the mistakes that she had made in the weeks leading up to Iowa and New Hampshire and some of the flubs and stuff like that. And and I was wrong. I was wrong about that. I do think, though, that there should be some cold water poured on the idea that there's really any momentum coming out of New Hampshire. I mean, it was very good for her, much better than the alternative, obviously, right, to get, you know, 11 points, right? So that's pretty good. But, you know, I think that the Trump camp's argument about the number of independents and unaffiliated voters who were determinative um, in the race being this close is a valid one. And there will be some more open primaries and she will do better in those ones. Um, you know, but so, so I, 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 but I don't expect, you know, she's like I said, like I said last week, she's on her way to South Carolina where she's probably going to get handily beaten by Trump in her home state. And that ain't going to be good. And we're going to, and she's going to have a lot of negative momentum coming out of that. And people are going to be, you know, talking about what a disaster that is for her. I mean, that's what I think is going to happen. So I, I, I don't think this is a sign necessarily of things to come. And, th- but the last thing I'll say is if you're Haley and, and you've said this, uh, Ben yourself, if you're Haley and your donors are there to me, it's not even like, our, you know, she said she raised a million bucks in the, in the week, you know, the couple days after, after the vote. Okay, great. To me, it's even if you can fuel your bus, if you can afford gas money for your bus, there is absolutely no downside for you staying in. You're the last man standing. You represent this very powerful impulse in the Republican Party. It's not a majority. We know that it's a minority, but it's still a powerful impulse in the Republican Party. And yes, you've got a very old man who's under multiple criminal indictments. He could die. He could go to jail. He could go to jail for contempt of court if he keeps pissing off, you know, the judge in New York. Right. His lawyer might be about to go to jail. I don't know if you guys saw that, but Haba, that was one of the. Yeah, no, no. Can you can you unspool that for us, Dan? Because it it, it really is. Summarize it as best you can, because it's kind of hilarious. Oh, it's so great. It's 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 also maybe the most 2024 story ever, and we're only like 25 days in. Yeah, she. That's there's another Jersey girl. I I knew she's my age. She's from like 20 minutes from where I grew up. I know 
I know her so well, even though I've never met her. <laughs> but but you know, so the the short version, as I understand it, is she told the ju- judge Kaplan in the New York case that they needed to postpone uh, uh, some some trial hearings because her parents had COVID and she herself was sick. And then the next day, this Trump influencer takes a picture of her at the Trump VIP. And, and, and not just apparently a Trump yeah. influencer, but I guess he was like a deputy chair for the New Hampshire campaign. And and just to put in perspective, like Alina Haba, whatever you think about this, she has leaned into this moment for her. She's become a more influential person in Trump's circle. You know, and, uh, you know, there are lots of people online who say crazy things like, oh, she's the new Melania. He's moved on to her. I don't think that that's true at all. What I do think, though, is that she has she has become what he likes to see in his legal representation, which is someone who goes out there and flames the media, irritates people, gets in their face, et cetera, et cetera. And this is true of all of like Trump's representatives. He's he's always liked that kind of approach. But the idea that she would not be recognized from showing up at that, like, I mean, it didn't even require a picture to be taken by this uh, uh, Trump influencer uh, to have it be noticeable that like, oh, she's out in public the day after she said she was sick and they needed to postpone everything. Yeah, it, it's nuts. And I, I don't know what the judge is going to do, but he, I mean, and he's already sanctioned her sort of informally in various ways. And she's effed up motions that have materially hurt Trump's interests in the courtroom. So I, it can only get worse, but you know, it's just so it's so you're right. It's the most 2024 story imaginable. And of course the guy who took the picture was, you know, was excommunicated from Trump world who, and, and just add another 2024 detail. He was a January 6th. I won't say writer. He was a January 6th attendee. That's yes. for sure. And, um, so, yeah, to, to, so but all of which is to say that, you know, this is a guy who is a very high variance candidate. You know, her her central line is operative here. Right. Haley's central line. Chaos follows him. He could die. He could go to jail. He could go to jail for contempt. He could, you know, think things could many bad things could could still happen. And you want to be in a position like Ted Cruz in 2016 where you're accumulating uh, delegates. Now, I don't I don't think there'll be a brokered convention. It's still very, 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 very low percentage tail possibility. But why would you drop out? Like I said, if you got money to fuel your campaign bus, stick around. I, I think that that's absolutely right. And I, I, you, you kind of wonder if hmm, it, it's hard to know. You know, I don't I don't know Governor Haley or really anyone in her orbit, but at least at least right now, and it's, you know, I think what we saw, you know, Tuesday night, uh, you know, the beginning of the Trump organization going both barrels at her. But if you look at kind of like what she's had to go through in South Carolina politics and even the way she handled things during her time in the Trump administration, uh, apparently she was not as much of a, you know, her warmongering or what have you uh, was not a problem then when uh, she was you know Trump's ambassador to the United Nations. Um, you know, and where she was not shy to mix it up with other people. I remember, you know, uh, Larry Kudlow trying to say something that was, and I don't think it was necessarily as ill intended, but came across as kind of uh, talking down to her and she just clapped back pretty hard. Well, I would um, just like to point out, like, just to build off of this for a second. So I, as somebody who comes from, from South Carolina, uh, I grew up in Charleston. I was not born there. I'm from Jackson, Mississippi, which is why I do not have that 
dandyish uh, attitude about things uh, that is, uh, comes from Charleston. Um, but something to think about is that like she had to go through being accused of multiple affairs and uh, things by by people who were down there who were trying to you know dis uh, just com completely derail her political future. And then we forget Michael Wolf wrote in a book that she was having an affair with Donald Trump. She had to take that on, you know, like, I mean, it, it, this guy, this New York times bestseller, you know, who is, uh, someone who's a, an absolute sort of, uh, you know, uh, somebody who was promoted by the likes of Joe Scarborough and Mika and, and, you know, all these other people, you know, as being like this truth teller about the, uh, uh, you know, dynamics of the Trump administration. He accused her of having an affair with Donald Trump and that it was public knowledge. And then we, when he was confronted about it on live national TV, it turned out that one person had told it to him. And so, like, this is the kind of crap that someone like Nikki Haley has had to put up with. And, like, I say this, you know, without any real... I don't have any affection for Nikki Haley. Ideologically, I don't view her as being someone who's in any way in my same lane. And I certainly don't think that she's someone who can beat Donald Trump within the current Republican party. But what I would say is her resistance uh, to Trump and the, the resistance of the people who support her reminds me a lot of how Rick Santorum performed in 2012 against Mitt Romney, meaning that, you know, unlike Santorum, you know, she has more donor support, the fact that Rick Santorum was getting significant support and votes when Mitt Romney had every advantage, uh, all the money in his corner was, you know, nuking him from orbit in state after state. It was just kind of a, I don't think that we can win with this guy expression, you know, from people who, you know, even if they didn't like Santorum were like, I'm skeptical. I'm just not, I'm not necessarily down with this idea that we're going to, nominate you know this this cutthroat bane elitist and that that's going to be the way to win and i think that that's and very very similar to the motivations of the people who are voting for haley in, because they probably didn't start with her in her willingness and we'll see how long it goes to take this beating is is gonna could be remarkable and you know again enduring what she endured and that she still comes across as you know, reasonably sunny, but definitely much more bare knuckled than, you know, so how sort of, you know, Tim Scott was kind of the morning in America candidate this cycle. I mean, I think she is sort of that hybrid of, you know, you know, she'll cut you, but, you know, it seems like she'd, she'd rather, you know, start with a smile. But, you know, if she can continue to bleed off people, um, you know, I, I just think that the, the, the Trump coalition is so small. And so fragile, right? He has to, he has to kind of run. A, and again, it's but you know certainly Biden has got his own his own problems too. But I just don't know that Trump is in a position to continue to alienate, even if it's fifteen or twenty percent of, again, not never Trump voters, but people that are you know see themselves as Republicans, but like he's just not their guy, and will do nothing to try to reconcile himself to them. Yeah, if you, if you think if you want to think that there's a, a light at the end of the tunnel for the Republican Party's sort of death death throes or 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 struggle to the death for its soul, then the comp to Santorum is okay. So Santorum was the canary in the coal mine in 2012 for kind of it's the culture stupid 
you know, Republican politics, which Trump really um, tapped into. I mean, we talk about how Trump is not really himself a culture warrior, but everything around him, everything that sprung up around him, all of the Trump influencers, all of the publications that were created, the think tanks that were spawned, the think pieces, the Internet personalities, they're all, you know, culture warriors. And and Santorum's performance was a harbinger of that. And I mean, if, if Haley's going to be something like that um and i'm not i'm not convinced that's right ben but if if it is then it's just going to be about this sort of reckoning you know this sort of post trump reckoning um if that's in the offing so i, I think we all agree she's not gonna win this contest uh, under normal conditions but um you know maybe it's you know maybe there is a hint that there's going to be a little bit more of a muscular alternative to that style of uh of politics that's dominated for the last eight years yeah i mean i, I i'm trying to think about what i what i expect to come out of this and and i guess overall let me let me just we can close up with that asking kind of this question of ourselves if we project this out a month from now uh going into super tuesday march 5th uh, I think that there's a very high likelihood that Nikki Haley will be facing being blown out of the water. And I do say this saying, I expect her to be there through the end result in South Carolina because the money is there. There's no reason for her to get out for that vote. I just don't think there's any reason. Uh, I mean, it, it it is a situation though, where I think that coming after Super Tuesday, she's going to be staring up at a much different delegate count than what she currently has. You know, right now she's down effectively by like 15 total delegates. Uh, and, you know, going from that to what she's going to experience in the coming month is likely to be, you know, pretty devastating. What does that mean though, in terms of her future? Does it mean that she becomes kind of a, an ex party person? I mean, Donald Trump is already out there saying, if you give money to her, you're on my naughty list. Um, I don't know. What, what, what do you think that this says about her future? And what do you think it says about the inability of, of Trump to drive her out where he drove out all these others? I think that, and this is something I you know, talked about last summer, and I think it was more in the context of DeSantis of, what he needed to do again, back at the time where we all thought that there was like a real path for him was this sort of burn the ships mentality of you have the commit all the way. And I think as we sit here today, Nikki Haley may have been the one non-Trump person who burned the ships. That is, you know, kind of, I mean, there's no going back for her at this point. And she seems, you know, pretty okay with that. Um, I don't know. I, I, I just don't get the sense that she is, I don't think she's a Liz Cheney type or like an Adam Kinzinger type. Um, and that's, that's going to, um, you know, sort of be kind of the Republican that just, you know, talks shit on other Republicans kind of thing. Uh, but I, I think she could sort of set herself up as, I don't even say a kingmaker, but I think her as a symbol of there is a different way for us to be as a party. And it doesn't mean we have to be soft, um, but, but that we can be different. And, you know, again, even if it's one in six or one in five Republicans would prefer that 
it's it's something that the party is going to have to reconcile itself to at some point you know it's at some point you know unless you know we we download trump's consciousness into a robot from one way or another you know donald trump is going to have to leave the stage and I, i think probably what comes after him probably looks more like him than it does sort of the george w bush era but you know i think it's debatable uh, you know how far the pendulum swings and you know maybe she could be somebody that um you know, if she wants to to try to obviously there's space to be able to build out infrastructure at this point and i think it's hard to get you know the dollars and people to show up because everyone is just invested in uh trump but you know can she be somebody that continues to just sort of keep the flame alive of of there being a different path i, I don't know and I, you know i think that I think she has a, a good amount of just raw natural political talent as somebody that presents well and can connect and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think there's a future national ticket for her, but I mean, she, you know, could be some sort of, again, factional symbol, you know, a, a Rick Santorum plus maybe if you will. Yeah. I mean, she, she doesn't have the, I agree that she's not going to be an ex Republican. I don't think so. I, I don't think she has the vindictiveness of a Liz Cheney. And I know, I know, you know, not to make this conversation about, about Cheney, but you know, for her people, you know, she was a 95% voter with Trump and she was loyal during most of the course of his presidency for her. It was really just all about, uh, you know, the election denial and, and even before January 6th, but certainly, on January 6th. So, but I, and, 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 and just was sort of driven by a kind of vindictiveness after that, I think was more righteous than not, but you know, it, it certainly became her whole personality. Right. I don't think Haley has that in her. I, th- I think Haley's more like a, this is a weird comp, but the one I thought of, she's more like a Mitch McConnell where it's like, you know, Mitch McConnell doesn't make it a secret that he, 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 find, he finds Trump, you know, not the most pleasant guy he doesn't agree with his approach to everything disagrees with him on some policy but he's the ultimate dc realist right who saw what was possible in working with trump worked at 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 uh, joint purposes when it made sense you know drew a line in the sand on a couple of big things didn't raise his voice didn't say why i've never seen such low character didn't turn it into his whole personality didn't do a performative emotive thing about how unfit trump is um even even though he might have felt it on some level and there's a lot of republicans that are exactly like that Uh, most of the party i would say is exactly some variant of that and haley comes more from that part of the party after all she served in his in his cabinet um on in his administration i should say and she doesn't make opposition to trump or trump's personality or his mean tweets or any of those things her entire personality doesn't make it her entire campaign. She uses it strategically. I think she's done it pretty well. I think amplifying it in the last week or so, especially after his remarks uh, in New Hampshire, was smart and strategic. And I think she'll continue to do that. But it's not her whole driving, animating force. So that's interesting and different. I don't think she has a future in national Republican politics unless things change. Hard to see that trajectory. But like John said, you know, it seems to me she's all in here. And, and mm. you know, look, if this burns out, which it likely will, she's got any number of corporate boards she could sit on, think tanks, universities, um, foreign policy, you know, jobs. Um, and I think she'll be just fine. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the difference for her, and it even depends on how that end happens, is is she going to be the one person who ultimately doesn't bend the knee? Um, you know, well, that's... can I can I say something about that? Yeah. Tim Scott looked pretty bad on that stage, man. Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> that was. I mean, we had just I turned to a certain things about him. <laughs> certain colleague of mine uh, uh, at a certain national network and said, "Ah, oh, God, dang it! I hate when he code switches." And he looked at me and he said, "It's the worst. It's so bad. Please stop." And uh, yeah, I, I gotta say, just the Baptist preacher thing, man. It's just not. It's not the way you normally talk. It's not the way you've talked in your entire political career. Please stop. Uh, just, just stop. Uh, do the do do the normal thing. Do the new South thing, man. That's that's what you're part of. So just you know, accept it. So anyway, for Dan, for John, uh, I'm Ben Dominic. You've been listening to another edition of Thunderdome. And uh, we appreciate you listening throughout all of this. We're going to continue Thunderdome through the end of whenever this primary is decided. Uh, and then we'll hop back in at various moments uh, as events warrant in the months to come. Uh, but go to thespectator.com, sign up for our magazine, for the newsletters. Uh, thank you for listening. And we will be back next week with more to guide you through this crazy 2024 election. <laughs>